0: Coming up this week on Sporting Journal Radio.
1: Release them, use forward-facing sonar to track their movement. So we just took the underwater ROV camera and we flew it around and we did find a number of dead fish. Different things that are going on with each individual fish. We watched them go down to the depth they were caught at and some of them stayed there.
0: I fish, I hunt, and always will. Broadcasting from the Alclair Outdoor Studios presented by on x know where you stand with on x <laughs> we're not just a radio show anymore this is sporting journal radio welcome to sporting journal radio i'm brett amundson thanks for tuning in on the network by demand SportingJournalRadio.com, or maybe you're watching this on youtube that's dan amundson right there dan what's up we're up north yeah, if you're watching this you'll notice we're not in the studio right now we're at fortune bay casino and right behind this awesome toyota tundra right here with this beautiful new wrap the logoing that jamie dippman did uh, you'll hear more about jamie doing that next week here on this show in fact you get to see him doing it uh as well but right behind it is the finish line for the arrowhead ultra 135 race uh dan this is a this is 135 miles from international falls to fortune bay casino
2: it's one of the hardest
0: it's it's been ranked one of the hardest races in the world how many times
2: in the last two days have i said i'm so glad we're filming not running or competing (laughs) most of the time we film an event or film uh whatever we do for prairie sportsman and i get kind of jealous i want to do what we're filming yeah this is not one of them people have
0: 60 hours to go 135 miles on the arrowhead trail uh, there's a couple other trails that they utilize as part of this as well but they can bike it they can uh, walk it pulling a little sled behind them or they could ski it now there was no skiers this year because snow conditions were garbage uh, but so most of the guys biked it or walked it and uh, a lot of a lot of people drop out in this race a lot of people don't finish
2: it i can understand why i mean <laughs> yeah. it's hard it's cold and usually it's cold it was raining last night it was like 30 degrees and raining and snowing and you don't just get a whole well, i guess some people can get a hotel room yeah. like mel george's a lot of people don't a lot of people finished and not a lot but some people finished and you know, a little over a little under about 24 hours yeah. 135 miles on bike and <laughs>
0: It it was raining, snowing, sleeting, the wind picked up. So we we stayed at Mel George's last night on Elephant Lake and part of the trail comes across the lake. And you're in the woods, you're kind of protected. And then the racers were telling us they'd come out on that lake and they got hit in the face with this 20 plus mile an hour wind. And uh, man, just some brutal, brutal conditions. But a couple of years ago, It was 40 below when they did this. So overall, I think they'll take the temps, even though the trail conditions weren't the
2: best. The walkers will probably take the temps. Bikers would probably want it cold, but it sounded like trail conditions improved today. So a lot of people are finishing up and uh, we're heading home, but it's a cool event to see, cool event to learn about.
0: And we filmed it for Prairie Sportsman. So watch that coming up later this season on uh, Prairie Sportsman uh, probably in April I think we. I talked think about. it's slated for April all right so we got a lot to get to in fact I know last week we talked about trying to trying to get to some of the barrel trauma discussion and we ran out of time on last week's show so we've got more barrel trauma talk this week in fact we went out and filmed with the DNR and uh, Jeremy Smith and uh, Mike Hainer and the guys from Linder Media Billy, Billy Linder was there yep. and uh, some of the other guys and uh, we've got some of those interviews coming for you this week on the
2: show yep right now As a matter of fact, Dan, tell us who our sponsors are this week. Lake of the Woods Tourism. Lake of the Woods is the walleye capital. Plan a trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Minnesota Deer and Turkey Classic is March 8th, 9th, and 10th at Canterbury Park in Shakopee. Learn more at mndeerclassic.com. Haybell Heights Campground and Resort. Fish out of a snow bear on Devil's Lake. Learn more at haybellheights.com. And Prairie Sportsman, the new season is underway, you need to watch those episodes anytime at the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel.
1: Lake of the Woods, the walleye capital of the world is calling
0: out to you. From the Northwest Angle to the South Shore and Rainy River, this is the
3: Midwest West's number one ice fishing destination. Walleye, Sager, Perch, Northern Pike, and Eel powder. The fishing on Lake of the Woods is like a world of its own. Experience the most amazing fishing through one of the many full-service resorts featuring heated fish houses, ice transportation, meal plans, and sleeper fish house options. For more information, go to
0: lakeofthewoodsmn.com. All right. This is Sporting Journal Radio. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thanks for tuning in on the network by demand, SportingJournalRadio.com, or by watching this on YouTube. And if you are watching this, you'll see we're not in the studio right now. We're out here on a lake in northern Minnesota, and we're doing some more research on barrow trauma. Well, we're. We're kind of doing the research. We're really just trying to document the research that the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources is doing. Angling Buzz has been a part of it, and Jeremy Smith joins us right now. Jeremy, how you doing?
4: Good, yeah, this is kind of a cool project to get a a hold of. So one of of the things that I think is neat about the the work that they're doing out here is that this was really driven by stakeholders. So Hmm. Minnesota has a number of work groups typically species specific. So the panfish work group had been raising concerns about this for quite some time. So they able to do some collaboration with the DNR and develop a preliminary study or a pilot project last year to dive into this to see how it might work. And then this year now they're doing a little bit more of a refined approach to the study. So what we saw out here was uh, interesting to to say the least i think
0: yeah for sure and before we get into what we've seen and obviously there's going to be a lot of compiling of data and and sifting through it a little bit before we get into that i want you to talk a little bit about the panfish work groups a little bit because, you know, as people that have followed this podcast know, you know, you guys put a video out, Aaron Weave put a video out, then you came on the podcast, and Aaron Weave came on the podcast, and then there was another uh, bar podcast that Aaron was just on, and a lot of those guys didn't know anything about these work groups because Aaron was talking about how, well, why why aren't more people involved with what the DNR is doing? And in fact, that is kind of what's happening here.
4: Yeah it is. It is a good example of uh, the agency working with the with the stakeholders on this. I mean that's part of the role of the DNR is to get citizen input and you know manage the resources that the, the public and the license holders want them to be managed. So this isn't necessarily designed to uh, have a you know we want to change regs because of this or that but certainly right now it's a great educational piece to show anglers and what you know what can happen from targeting fish in deep water and Uh, As part of one of the work groups, you and I are on on one of those Mm -hmm. that's involved with technology. So, you know, we know from that that uh, catching fish can still be difficult as it was yesterday morning, even with great anglers and great technology, but at the same time when it happens, it can happen really quick. So Mm -hmm. I think we just need to be aware of what's happening as, as more and more anglers become very good at using this technology and what the implications could be for the future of fisheries.
0: And there's no question that legislation can come out of nowhere. I know that is a worry from a lot of people. It's a worry for me. We saw it with crossbows last year where all of a sudden a couple of legislators took a couple of words out of a state statute and boom, crossbows were allowed during the entire mm-hmm. archery season. So we we're all a little bit worried about that, but that has nothing to do with what we're doing here. We're just trying to learn a little bit more about barrel trauma, uh, fishing crappies deep, And, of course, forward-facing sonar, we all know that that helps you find fish. I mean, it's 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 an incredible tool out there.
4: Well, man, the way we used it in part of this was we we caught fish just to see what would happen with there's no additional handling with keeping them in a pen just to catch them, release them, use forward-facing sonar to track their movements. And we saw some interesting stuff happen yesterday. We couldn't keep track of every fish for a really long period of time. We saw fish go right back down and seem to be with the school and be all right. We saw fish go right back down and then reach a certain depth and then kind of flutter down we, i mean we saw and we saw fish float back up so the, the, the technology will really show you a lot, and I mm-hmm. hope that whatever they learn from this study, that the citizens and the license holders will be able to say, all right, this is the information we have. This is how we think we should manage the resource along with this information and input from the from the agency.
0: And, and just going back to that panfish work group a little bit, I mean, that's where the QBI and QSI came out of, mm-hmm. right? So the Quality Bluegill Initiative or Quality Sunfish Initiative. And uh, so, so bluegills were a big part of what, this panfish work group really tried to, to um, bring awareness to and put, putting some different limits on trophy bluegill lakes and lowering limits and things like that and they did a couple of experimental lakes first and then they expanded it and they're going through all that research mm-hmm. now and and now we're trying to learn a little bit more about crappies
4: yeah so that was one of the the things that they were able to be successful with that group. So Mike Hayner, who's here and Dave is you know, a few guys here actually work on that, that work group. And so bluegills were a big concern because as Minnesota, Minnesotans know that we used to have some really great big bluegill fisheries in there. It is really rare to find big bluegills these days. So hopefully with what they're doing, they'll be able to restore or maintain a number of the quality sunfish lakes that we have. And uh, we'll see now what this means for crappies going forward. They're different kinds of fish and they do, you know, need to be managed differently just from their life history. So it'll be interesting to see what you know what this shows us.
0: After being out here for the last couple of days this year and after doing the study last year and, and everything that you learned and the methodology that was used last year, things were a little different this year.
4: Yeah, there was. So, I mean, we, they did, I should say, yeah. somewhat of a control yeah on what, uh, you know, so it was very similar to what we, we did last year. Catch the fish, move them over. We tried to expedite the, the handling time in between the catch and being put in the net. So there's that group of fish that just went into a net just as you would regularly release them, but they are contained in a hoop net that goes from the surface to the bottom. And then another set was, uh, placed in there with a descending device to see if, if the fish can get back to depth. Maybe there's a higher rate of survival or, or we'll see. I mean, that's what we're, we're here to find out. And then of course there was the the other side of it where we just caught him and let him go and tried to gather whatever data you possibly could from observing them on forward-facing and looking for them with an underwater drone.
0: And then we saw a few fish up under the ice with that drone.
4: Yeah, we did. So that was that was pretty cool. We had a couple forward-facing sonar units looking the underwater drone we tried to do our best it's hard to you know steer that thing but we did our best to really grid off an area mike could kind of see what the field of view was so we had a good sense of what ground we would covered a couple times we did run into the same fish but we could see somebody was walking above the drone with a gps unit marking waypoints where we saw the fish so we feel real confident that the fish that we saw with the drone were all individual fish, and we weren't getting repeats of any of those.
0: Well, I think it's a really important study, and that's why we're out here filming it for Prairie Sportsman, and obviously talking about it here on on Sporting Journal Radio. And we're going to have our episode come out this spring, and you'll be able to see how this story, you know, how it unfolded. And also Dan and I did some deep water fishing, and uh, we're going to cook those fish up. So (laughs) like, well, we're fishing this deep. We're not putting them back. We're gonna keep them. So you'll be able to see that and then we'll be able to see another Angling Buzz video.
4: Yeah, we'll get, yeah, this next winter, we've got our content kind of scheduled out for the remainder of the ice season this year, but we'll have that uh, out next year. Probably one of the first things since it's a hot topic. But the idea here is really just to let everybody know that um, there are certainly risks with fishing in deep water. And Mm. this is my opinion, but what I've seen doing this fishing and with this this research that it makes a lot of sense to me that if you're going to target fish in deep water it's probably best again to just use this as a harvest opportunity not necessarily recreational fishing to see how many you can put on top of the ice or how many can catch and let go
0: well you guys have some data to go through and and kind of figure things out so that'll take a little bit of time after this so i'm excited to to see what you guys come up with and this has really been a, a really interesting study to be a part of i appreciate the opportunity
4: oh man thanks for coming this was really fun so it's great we were able able to be involved in this type of thing all right jeremy smith thank you very much you bet
0: 852 million acres of public land 147 million private properties all in the palm of your hand Hi, right, we're back, Sporting Journal Radio. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thanks for tuning in on the radio network, By Demand, wherever you get your favorite podcasts or watching this on YouTube. We're on a lake here in northern Minnesota, and we're with the assistant to the regional uh, manager northeast. Yep. <laughs> up in Grand Rapids. This, the assistant to the assistant. What, what was that old office joke? the assistant no not the assistant manager this yeah this is terrible anyway uh dave weitzel uh he's with the dnr up here in northern minnesota and he knows his fish and that's what we're talking about right now you've been a part of uh panfish uh management in minnesota uh, and, and obviously there's been a lot of uh, bluegill discussion the last few years and some regula- some special regulations and things like that and now we're just trying to learn about crappies this isn't to set any regulations or anything like that we're just trying to learn a little bit about them fishing them deep and uh, what effect barotrauma has on these fish yep that's correct yeah
3: we heard uh, kind of loud and clear from our panfish anglers that the next thing they'd like us to focus on is crappie and we realized that you know crappie are found throughout the state of Minnesota but they live in a huge variety of habitats so their population dynamics really vary tremendously from one lake to another and the type of management that might work well in one environment might not work so well in another environment so we're trying to Uh, learn a little bit more about their biology and about how um, different lake environments might affect angling so we're out here on a deep lake today and we want to understand how does deep water angling impact a crappie population what kind of guidelines can we come up with for anglers to help them make a more informed decision when they're
0: out on the water and that's the biggest thing is we just want to educate or you just want to educate people uh, so they can learn about what effect they might be having on these fish particularly if they're trying to catch and release fish in deep water you started uh, a study You did a study last year on this Uh, you're bringing it back again this year with a few changes this year yep
3: correct yeah so we kind of expanded on uh, last year's work the main point of last year's work was just to see if something like this can even be done in the winter time Uh, traditionally these um, barotrauma studies have happened during the open water period when uh, you have the mobility of being able to work out of a boat you don't have freezing conditions that you're dealing with with. Um, So it's just kind of an easier setting in some ways to do this kind of work. Uh, So last year we wanted to see if uh, we could even uh, come out and set net pens. Could we catch enough fish? Could we keep gear from freezing in? Uh, And we found out that we could and uh, we were able to do it on uh, three different lakes with three different depth trials uh, which started to provide some provocative information that we wanted to continue to follow up on. Uh, So this year we're out on uh, a lake that's even a little bit deeper than what we've tried in the past, uh, angling in depths between 35 and about 50 feet of water uh, and um, trying really several different methods to evaluate what's going on with the fish. Um, the first method that we're using is catching fish and holding them in pens like we did last year. Um, that way we can recover the fish. In this case we, uh, we waited 48 hours to lift the pens uh, and determine over that amount of time how many fish have we lost. The first pen we just put fish in um, much like we did last year release them directly into the pan. Uh, the second pen, we actually wanted to see uh, if we use the descending device if that would have much of an impact for a couple different reasons. Um, first we hear anglers Uh, ask us questions about descending devices or fizzing to see if there's safer ways to release a fish. Uh, So we could evaluate that, but we could also try to eliminate any confounding factor of the pen itself. Uh, Last year, we observed that some fish had trouble getting to depth because they'd run into that net. So we thought, well, if we place them there, um, that kind of eliminates that risk to the fish. So it should give us a little better question and a little bit better um, answer, I should say. Uh, and then we followed that up um, by using some really awesome technologies uh, and you know I want to say thank you to our media partners that came out and actually provided some forward-facing sonar units for us and also some underwater drones so we were able to catch fish yesterday and just release them like we would on any day out in the ice uh, and then track those fish with forward-facing sonar and see how they reacted and then come out today and use an underwater drone to see if we could observe any mortalities uh, so kind of a three-pronged approach to this study uh, this year
0: yeah we had we had live scopes and uh, Lowrance units and uh, hummingbird units all over the place tracking fish and and working together in coordination to try to track the same fish from different angles so if it went off one screen another one was trying to track it as well Um, and with you know we'll we'll get all the all the details are gonna come out uh, as we go on we're still compiling the data but when you saw that part of the research that part of the study was there anything surprise you or anything that you saw there that stood out?
3: Yeah you know the crew is actually working up the fish right now so um, you know we're gonna have to dig into the numbers but just general observation you know, it seemed like about a third of the fish were floating in each of the net pens. So it didn't seem like the descending device made much of a difference. Both of those pens looked the same. And interestingly enough, when the crew came out today and used the underwater drone, they found that about a third of the fish that were captured yesterday, they actually found pinned up underneath the ice. So it seemed like regardless of which method was used, we were finding a similar number of fish that, were, um, that weren't that were able to, to maintain their depth and were were pinned up uh near the surface and then both in in the pans um, in both pans and also just out here on the open ice we observed some fish that had uh you know apparently died and actually sank to the bottom yeah um, so some fish seem to re- be released and they swim down and they do just fine some fish are released uh, and then end up floating back to the surface and some fish seem to uh swim down to depth only to find themselves laying on the bottom um so there's definitely different things that are going on with each individual fish.
0: And these were some deep waters that we were fishing in. So they they deeper were. Deeper than last year. Yep. And uh, there were, I know Jake Wallace was here fishing, and he caught one. I don't know what the depth was, but when he brought it up, it was dead. Pretty much dead when he brought it. Like he just caught it, reeled it up, put it on the ice, and it was toast. Yeah. That's wild. Like that's pretty crazy to me. So uh, we don't have final numbers or final tallies on any of this stuff yet. This is just kind of uh, observations that we've had on what these fish have, uh, have experienced out here today. But it was really interesting taking that underwater drone out there and seeing those fish pinned up up against the bottom of the ice I mean it's something you hear about but without that sort of tech it's hard to hard to actually see it yeah and um, you know and I'm as guilty as anybody when I've been fishing I
3: release a fish and say well that fish swam down I'm yeah. sure it was fine so it was extremely informative to be able to use the forward-facing sonar and track these fish for uh, in some cases we were able to track them up to five minutes or more and well, we we found is there was a delay between the point of that fish descending to depth and where it really started showing signs of trouble and floated back to the surface so I don't think that in most cases that mortality is instant um, it probably occurs after that fish you know at least makes an effort to return to depth mm-hmm. um, but yeah if you're uh, you know I think that fish yesterday that was stone-cold dead. I think that was caught in like 50 feet of water I mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously some fish are just instantly killed um, but probably Probably that delayed mortality is is um, you know more common yeah at least that's what that's what that forward-facing
0: sonar suggested to us yesterday and we did even see one fish pop up back in one of the holes when we were out there it was frozen yeah. in one of yesterday's holes so and the fish in the
3: pens kind of reacted the same when we put them in the non descending device pen those fish seemed to initially swim down and it was three four five minutes later that they started to come back up to the surface
0: Hmm. And it, I think it's uh, also important to note that this research is ongoing. Like yeah, we're gonna, you're gonna continue to do this. You're gonna continue to try different methods and and try to get the best results possible. That's the bottom line. You're just trying yeah. to find the best results.
3: Yep, absolutely. Yep. So we're hoping to add a little bit more precision where we can come up with some you know, somewhat precise estimates of mortality at at given depth, Um, but it'll take more data and more time to do that. Uh, But between now and then, um, you know, I think what we found, you know, first off, it is pretty consistent with those open water studies that have been done that shows that barotrauma doesn't just magically exist at a single depth, but at least the mortality that's associated with barotrauma increases exponentially the deeper that you go, Uh, you know, we kind of saw the same thing out here with these fish that were caught out of deeper water than last year's study. Uh, And it seemed like, um, you know, with both those studies and what we're finding, it seems like you start seeing signs of trouble at about 30 feet, Mm -hmm. Um, you know. So maybe for us, that's kind of that beginning of the danger zone, where if we're out fishing at 30 feet or more, um, you know maybe we take a cautious approach uh, maybe we get in those depths of 40 or 50 feet and that's where we're really extremely careful
0: and keeping the fishing catch
3: well and that's you know personally that's what I choose to do anyway yeah. um, when I release a fish and I do a lot of catch and release fishing uh, but I want to know that that fish was handled well and there's a very high chance that that fish is going to survive um, when I'm fishing in depths greater than 30 feet I don't have that confidence anymore so those are the times where personally you know I'm going to go out and I like to eat a meal of fish so i have no problem harvesting a few Mm -hmm. Uh, once i get the number of fish i want for a
0: meal uh, i usually head up a little shallower and find some bluegills myself sure one thing i also (laughs) want to mention is you guys took great steps to really reduce the fish handling time
3: we did yeah um, we were able to get these fish we were actually shuttling them over to the net pens using snowmobiles so a lot of times we were uh, from the time the fish was caught to the point where it was in the pen was around 30 seconds so we were moving pretty fast we, yeah. we made a real effort to cut that handling time down and then obviously with the fish from yesterday those fish were immediately released immediately.
0: Um, no it, measurements no no clipping of fins or nothing no
3: <whistles> yeah down down the hole they went and, yeah. and yet still um, you know with the the forward-facing sonar are we able to show that um, you know some of those fish still still struggled and yeah. and um, we're able to confirm with the uh, drone that some of those fish didn't make it yeah
0: well the bottom line is we're just trying to find the answers trying to figure out what effects barrel trauma have also trying to come up with better fish handling methods and we all love catch and release right but maybe it's just once you hit a certain depth, it's just not a, a, a an option that should be that should be utilized because of what barotrauma has the ability to do to these fish caught up 30 feet or deeper or something. Yeah,
3: like that. or if you do want to go fishing on a day where you're not interested in a meal of fish,
0: maybe you just choose not shallower. to fish in those
3: deep waters and yep. go
0: after something else a little bit shallower. Yep. Now, do you have more of these plant these research uh, days planned this year? Maybe different water depths or we're we're really hoping to, but
3: um, for folks
0: that have been ice fishing, you probably <laughs> have
3: noticed we're having a really weird winter weather-wise, so we're not sure what the ice conditions are going to allow us to do. We would like to uh, do some trials on some lakes in southern Minnesota that are shallower lakes, Mm -hmm. Um, but with the warm-up and the forecast, I'm not sure what we can safely do, Uh, but it's safe to say that we're going to continue the study, um, you know, at least until the point where uh, we're able to have some confidence in our observations uh, and continue to work with our media partners to get good messaging out so anglers can make informed decisions. What about doing some in open water? Uh, It would be interesting. We haven't really talked about it, but it's something that we could certainly look at. Um, You know, like I say, it has been done for multiple species. Um, We'd probably start and look at what's been done uh, specifically with crappie. Um, If there's some good studies that are out there, there's probably no need to necessarily repeat those studies. Um, But that would be a good starting point. And if we find that there isn't a lot
0: out there, maybe that's the next step. I know the, the nets have become a point of concern for a lot of people. People. and I've, I've seen that studies in South Dakota barrel trauma studies they've used the exact same net yeah so those nets have been used in a lot of studies and and if you wanted to say that maybe that is a variable that could taint all those studies out there it, you know maybe there's is there some sort of net in open water because you got to be able to track the fish yeah. you have to whether it's a, a clip fin or whatever which I don't think the clip fin was a big deal but in an open water where you had you know like a narrow yeah. <laughs> I don't. I mean, this this would be a, a big undertaking, but a lot of people have suggested trying to have some sort of net that gets wider at the bottom, so fish can take that natural gradual descent if, if they need it. Is there would that even be a possible, Is there something like that out there? Could it be built? You guys got handy people at the DNR.
3: It's it's
0: possible, and I know when
3: we've done uh, open water studies, we have used a much larger pen that was six foot by six foot square. Uh, the problem is it gets to it gets to the point where to try to retrieve that net at depth and do it in a safe way there's a human safety factor too oh sure where it it becomes extremely difficult to do that, especially out of a moving boat. So we'd really have to look into the feasibility of that. Um, but the bottom line is, anytime you're putting fish into a containment, you're adding an extra stressor to that fish's right. life. And there's really no way to mitigate that. Um, you know, so maybe there's some other methods that could be looked at. Uh, one way to do it would be to um, you know catch a bunch of fish and then uh, tag them uh, with hmm. either like a numbered tag uh, or a um, uh pit tag, a uh, uh, tag. Even those,
0: was, I mean even there you're kind of stabbing it, the fish. And, right? and
3: that's the problem is we're still indu- inducing some kind of an additional stressor to the fish. Yeah. Can
0: you give them name tags? just like, uh, <laughs> like you get like the stickers you just yeah that would be great my, my name is bob <laughs> well uh, but maybe you know maybe we can
3: further develop the form, the forward-facing sonar stuff too if there was sure. ways that we could track fish longer um i think with some of the new technologies that are out there it's opening the door to all kinds of possibilities
0: that we haven't had in the past yeah well again i i think the the thing is we're just trying to do the, what's best for the fisheries and what's best for anglers that utilize those fisheries Yep. And, uh, inform and educate. So uh, Dave Weitzel, appreciate the time. Good luck with uh, the future studies and thanks for letting us be out here. Yeah, it's awesome, thank you. Ice fishing season is here. This winter, plan a trip to Devils Lake, North Dakota. Not only will you have the chance to catch your legendary perch, but this year, Hay Heights has been catching big walleye after big walleye. And they're doing it from a mobile, comfortable snow bear. No matter how cold it is outside, you're warm and toasty on the inside. Learn more and book a trip today at haybaleheights.com. That's haybaleheights.com. Don't miss the 2024 Minnesota Deer and Turkey Classic presented by Select Heartland Chevy Dealers at Canterbury Park in Shakopee, March 8th, 9th, and 10th. This year's Classic features top hunting celebrities like Pat Nicole Reeve of Driven TV, Melissa Bachman of Winchester Deadly Passion TV, and legendary bow hunter Barry Wenzel. Get your antlers scored, view more than 300 antler entries, and see the latest hunting products, plus a great lineup of lodges and outfitters. Learn more about the Minnesota Deer and Turkey Classic March 8th, 9th, and 10th at Canterbury Park in Shakopee at mndeerclassic.com. This is Sporting Journal Radio, I'm Brett Amundsen. Thanks for tuning in on YouTube, maybe downloading the podcast or listening to this on the radio network. We're out here on a lake in northern Minnesota continuing the bear trauma research with Mike Hainer right now from Lindner Media. Mike, how are you doing? Doing good, how about you? Not bad, this has been interesting
1: these last couple of days. Really fun, yeah, it's... Um... You know, this has always been an interest of mine for many years to find out what is actually happening with fish in deep water, all fish, but crappies in particular. And kind of what we're seeing out here is what's ha- you know what you would think would happen. So, but um, yeah, definitely it was neat seeing fish from really deep water to mid depth to see what um, happened to them when they came up, so.
0: I think one of the, I mean, I saw some of the some of the stuff that was done with the nets and the descending device and then obviously we had live scope and four facing sonars out here Uh,
1: but you had an underwater
0: drone out here today that was that's kind of
1: fun yeah yeah you know we just thought well you know how do you um, verify if the fish you immediately let go lived right and thought well some of them might sink to the bottom but a lot of them we know float up and do they float up and sit under the ice and recover later very possibly or do they float up and die so we just thought we caught a bunch of the fish we immediately released in one little area so we just took the underwater ROV camera and we flew it around and we did find a number of dead fish you know came right up on them and they were just stiff and dead under the ice so it was a a percentage of Mm. what we actually released so. and this year versus last
0: year some of the methods have been refined and it won't stop here it's going to continue to happen and
1: methods methodology will continue to be correct yeah and there's like i guess talking to all the biologists too there's so much variability in Mm. um what happens with critters right i mean you can't like you just don't get a hard and fast it's either this or this so there's going to be a lot of variables but i think we did refine a bunch from last year and took notes on a bunch of stuff that we thought we could improve on, and did it three different ways, so we have a bunch of different um, ways to look at um, what happened with the fish so the
0: biggest thing is education and getting getting some messaging out that mm. you know this is what we 're seeing yeah. when you fish deep
1: no 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 doubt about it i mean that 's always been my thought from what we do and what you do it 's like we're not trying to say something's right or wrong. We just want to know if something's happening to let other anglers know so that when they're going out, they have it in their mind that, hey, you know, for these crappies, if you're fishing them super, super deep, there's probably a good chance there's going to be some dying. If you fish them shallower, probably not so much. So it's like just, just I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I run into a lot of guys out on the ice that it doesn't even, enter into their mind that they're killing they a fish it. yeah right it's like I, if i'm catching a fish in 10 feet or 50 feet it's probably fine if i let it go and if it swims away you know you think it's fine but it might not be so that's what we're just trying to get a little bit more detail to the bo- you know get to the bottom of you know what amount of fish might be possibly dying
0: what well, was interesting because <clears throat> all the fish that you found that have floated up under the ice today. Correct. They were all caught here yesterday. There's nobody else out here fishing. Right. And all those fish, you fought, every fish that was caught there was followed with a live scope down to the bottom. Correct. Uh, or so.
1: I would say I. You know the, the I don't numbers. I, the
0: numbers, but
1: there was. A handful for sure that went down two, three feet, and we've seen them swim maybe 20 feet under the ice and pop back up. Okay, so they never made it to the bottom. Never made it down. There was a a handful or a number of them that went down. We watched them go down to the depth they were caught at, and some of them stayed there. Some of them went below that. It was almost like they went to the bottom. And then there were some of them that went down, up, down, up, and down, up. And then we, you know, tracked them with the live scope for over a hundred feet for five minutes. And they were still kind of trying to right themselves. So they, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. So, But um, the fact that we caught 40-plus fish um, doing that, just catch, instantly release with the live scope, and then came back the next day. Yeah, no measurements, no? No, nothing. It was just the immediate release. And um, there we found 11 fish under the ice. So that's, you know, do the math, but it's, and and to be fair, like the fish that we did out here, you know, you were there watching it too. They were deeper than we had planned. So we were actually, guys were catching fish in 60 feet of water and the fish were 50 feet down. So that's deep, 45. A lot of them were 40, 45, which most, anglers probably do not you know fish for crappies that deep i mean there's a number of lakes in minnesota where you have that um (laughs) most of the time i don't fish deeper than 15 feet right because the lakes i live by don't get any deeper than that but i mean i can think of growing up a num, you know a handful of lakes even down in the cities we were fishing in 48 feet of water and the crappies were at 42 feet and you just when they pulled them up you just kept them because you knew they weren't going to live so and with these ones here this is I think gave us a good example of, you know, it was good to see some deep fishes, I guess what I'm getting at that, whatever, 25 to 35 feet is sorta getting into that zone where we don't know, right? So, but when you get below 35 feet, it's, you know, there's more pressure and, you know, logic would say more are gonna probably die, but again, we gotta find out, so.
0: It was interesting to see Mm -hmm. a, a bluegill came out of 50 some feet of water. That was down on the bottom. Correct. Uh, And a a couple of rock bass that we've seen. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So a lot of fish living down in that. And most of the schools that we saw on the the electronics were, you'd see the odd fish come through or a a little school of fish come through around 30 feet, 25 to 30 feet. But most of the big schools of crappies that we were seeing were down, you know, 40 45 plus feet deep right so um, and yeah I normally wouldn't target a, a fish that deep of course but um, that was the whole idea was to come out here and fish these fish and one Jake caught one that was dead when he brought it up out of 50 some feet of water right dead when he got it uh, still hooked and dead so um, results were uh, were interesting of course and uh, I, I just was kind of fascinated by seeing those fish that had floated back up and seeing them under the ice like that
1: right right and another variable i guess we need to consider when you're just getting into more variables is you know this is a lake that rarely gets fished right like a few people from camp come out so they're pretty much untouched fish and we came out here as a big group and we cut around and the fish did seem to know we were here right would you agree it was like it was like you would drill on the fish and watch them with the forward-facing sonar and they would go deeper so it's like were they at 30 feet and they saw us sure they went down to 40 feet and then we caught them and then brought them up so maybe they weren't as you know that's the other thing it's like they did you know with this technology which is by the way the technology is so cool right it's fun as an angler it's awesome to use Mm -hmm. you learn a lot and and we're kind of learning as we're doing this study stuff too what it can you know help you but it tells you stuff we didn't know before like what how these fish move on top when when we're up top and they're down there they know we're here yeah and it's just about how you know how much we affect what they do when we're fishing for them even so it was funny that first
0: day Mm -hmm. I got here and you guys had already started and Somebody had mentioned that to me. Boy, these fish are really spooky. You know, you know that this isn't, it's not a private lake, but there's no public access on it here. So there's obviously not a lot of fishing pressure, only a handful of Super cats. light. You know? So yeah. to me, I, I kind of immediately, I'm thinking like, this is like Canada. I'm, I'm, yeah. I don't want a lake in Canada where there's hardly any fishing pressure. Yeah. This is going to be easy. And somebody mentioned right away that they, these fish are spooking off of everything, which I was mm. surprised by. And the way it was being done the first day is when somebody would catch a fish, the sled would come pick it up, bring it over, you know, try to minimize that handling time as much as possible. And I'd be working a fish, I'd be working it be like, all right, all right, and then meow and the sled would go the snowmobile would come ripping by and that fish would be like
1: poof gone. Huh. Thanks a lot, Jeremy. <laughs> right? Yeah. God. No, that was another point too, like flying that underwater drone, like <clears throat> I, brought, I I took it all the way to the bottom in 50 just to look for dead fish and it was really hard you're just not covering much ground but when we brought it down to 50 feet there was live rock bass just hanging out like they're just that's where they were mm-hmm. in 50 feet of water on the bottom but coming up and running it at mid-depth like I could point it up at the ice and look for fish and I could see people walking You know, it's like we have six inches of snow cover and a foot of ice right? And it's like, and, and it's an overcast day, but I could see people moving and walking around day. up there. It's like, it's amazing. I mean, I, I would have never guessed that. So I think, again, you know. They're with, seeing us. They're seeing us. And with crappies, that's maybe why it's a lot of times can be better at night because you lose that part of it or they get a little less wary. But, yeah, it's crazy how well you can see things moving on top of the ice with snow cover, you know. You wouldn't think so. So that was... Well, another learning thing, so. That's another, I mean, the technology
2: mm-hmm.
0: is helping us learn and understand the fish so much better that we're we're theoretically becoming better anglers because of it right technology is not catching the fish again but it's allowing us to learn fish behavior and learn not just how to catch them better Mm -hmm. but when not to catch them or you know when they're doing this or what their numbers are at i mean we could we can with the live scope we can count the number of fish that are in a school right I mean, you yeah. could you could like do creel surveys almost, you know, or, or try to determine how many fish population, population, you know, yeah, that's the word I was looking estimates, for. Yep. Thank you, mm. population estimates by just by. I mean, obviously there's some variables, and you got to be able to follow the school around, but you could you could literally count schools of fish down there with this stuff. So right, it's fun. I love it, and uh, I know there's going to be more research coming, and more studies, and more days like this, and it's just going to continue to get better and better. And yeah. Um, you know i really appreciate you letting us come out and tag team
1: with the oh guys. man That's yeah no it's, i think the more people we get to st- talking about this the better and yeah. um yeah, the more media people that are involved I you know being in the panfish group myself you know this had been coming up for a number of years what different things should we look at and everybody kept saying let's talk about deep water crappies and then these guys <clears throat> the Minnesota DNR were like okay we're, we're going to get put our heads together and figure out a way to do that so okay, and we're just like okay well you do that and we'll film it and you know try to do our best to show it how you know what's what's happening so yeah there's a lot more to come it sounds like from them so this is just the you know the start of this big study so we'll keep tabs on it i guess right
0: yeah and i'm i'm sure after you finished last year you had some ideas for this year even before other people probably suggested things you probably had some ideas of how you want to do things different and now that Mm -hmm. we're kind of wrapping up this one i bet you go, oh no i should do it a little bit this we'll do it a little different next time and do this let's try this
1: no and i actually enjoyed getting input i had every one of my friends that watched everything that's been out there (laughs) the last year came at me with a thousand ideas and yeah you know, a lot of them we had already said, oh, it's, this could be an issue or this could be or this, but other ones are like, oh, you know, I never thought of that's another good thing to think about. So it's all that's, I think as anglers, that's what we're good at is figuring things out and that's just, this is the process for doing this stuff. So so feel free to comment below on what suggestions you might have. We're always willing to listen. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Mike, Mike, thank you very much. Sounds good. It's been a pleasure. Sporting Journal Radio is a division of Macaba LLC. If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to SportingJournalRadio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to SportingJournalRadio.com.